Do you know the band Mariana's Trench that I like? Right? Yeah, yeah. The guy that he wrote, um, the lead singer wrote Call Me Maybe mm-hmm. with um, What's Her Nuts. Carly Rae Jepsen. Uh, yeah. Um, Josh, I forget his name. Josh something is the guy's name. This is just like, it just, just must go to show like the solidarity of the Canadian entertainment <laughs> industry. Sports, right? Is that what kept my Spotify is a, a a song co-written slash song. I don't actually know who did what, but it's it was Josh Ramsey, that's his name, and Chad Kroger. Did <laughs> 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 a song together. I would love it if <laughs> there was like a cartel of Canadian artists that have crossed over into American media and are yeah. like, guys, we got to look out for we each other. <laughs> we haven't collaborated yet, so it, it's it's our time. And I'm like, what? I would never have expected like Nickelback right. and a pop punk. Also, yeah. um, please make sure when you do it, you, you strike while the iron is coldest and get Chad Kroger. Yeah. <laughs> We really were waiting for Chad Kroger to come back. Where's Avril with all of this? Like, Did she renounce her citizenship? I'm not sure. No, she's back up in Canada. Is she back in Canada? Yeah. Okay. Well, she did that song, Bite Me, I think, is the one that just came out. Well, yeah, I think it was a couple years ago she released Bite Me, and everyone was like, hey, oh, is she back? Bite. And it kind of seemed like she was going to do the same thing that she did when she left. No, Bite Me was, like, not that long ago. wrong? I thought Bite Me was, like, 2018. Released 2022. Oh. So, oh, this year then? She released a song just okay. just this year called Bite Me. Does it sound like old Avril? Yeah, kind of. I mean, play a bit. It's like, it's classic female-led pop punk shit. Is it our Avril back again? Up to old tricks? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sounds exactly. like old Avril. Oh my god, this is... This, are you sure this isn't just a song she wrote like in 2004 right. and had? Recorded in yeah. 2004, yeah. Right. Had lying around. in the tank. This was... Found on her hard drive and was like, huh, she dropped this on iTunes.ca. Oh. I'm sure she was, yeah, she was looking through her hard drive and she was like, oh, right, they cut this from it's... Let's Dance 8. Another episode of Why Did We Watch This, the podcast where three friends sit down and watch a not-so-great movie, have a maybe brother drink, and then talk about what was bad, what was good, and how we could do it better. Uh, I'm your host for this week, Lee Elsa Delahanty. I'm Chris Eldora Ravel. And I am Brendan Ilva Drischler. <laughs> and you could not tell from our nicknames. We we're all secretly Kate Hudson. We, we're all <laughs> being portrayed it's, by Kate Hudson in increasingly <laughs> bad accents. Yes. You, you can't. Master of disguise herself, Kate Hudson. You can't see us, but we've all taken off our rubber masks to reveal it's, we're each separately. We all have Kate ridiculous Hudson. goofy wigs on. <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> we have just finished watching 2003's Alex and Emma. That's right. Directed by Rob Reiner. Mm-hmm. Starring Kate Hudson and Luke Wilson and... And, yeah, that's it. I mean, David Paymer, like character actor, noted character actor David Sophie Paymer. Sophie Marceau. Yeah, Sophie Marceau, who I did not realize was in a James Bond movie prior to Chris telling me. Rob Reiner works with his favorite actor, Rob Reiner. Yeah. <laughs> that's mostly about it. Yeah. No one else really matters. And then, of course, Leachman shows up for all of 10 seconds as a grandmother. Truly blinking, you miss it. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. And uh, to get through this movie, we, of course, had to have our drink, which this week was uh, the namesake of all of these characters. The yes. Ilva, this Elsa, was, it was Anna. the Emma, Ilva, Elsa, Eldora, Anna. Yes. It was pretty simple. 
Well, what it was supposed to be is one part sparkling blueberry wine, one part rose lemonade, and some rosemary as a garnish to sort of cut down on the sweetness. We realized, like, as we're making this, that we all forgot the rosemary, so it was omitted. Just, you know, in case you want some context around how this could have happened, uh, we are coming out of a blizzard where... Yeah, truly, like we have, we—I don't think we've really had one of this size and magnitude for several years. Yes, um, so we were not necessarily caught with our pants down, but we're coming out of a thing of running to the store for a rosemary right. sprig, and this situation was just not going to happen. No, like if yeah. it were for any other time, we could have ran to Whole Foods and just grabbed some right. and been like, literally no is. problem. But, uh, leaving is not exactly feasible right now. No. There are not sidewalks that one can walk on no. with great ease. And thank yeah. goodness we all live very close to one another, so this yep. was not a struggle. Made but it very easy to get Yeah, um, I kind of wish we did have the rosemary, just because this did end up being a little on the sweet side. It did. If we had also cut it with some club soda or seltzer yeah. or something like that, it might have helped, I too. I didn't finish mine. It's too sweet for me. But I might finish the wine later and put something else with it. It's yeah. More bitter. I mean, it was it was a good wine. I like that rose lemonade. Mm-hmm. I think it was a good starting point. Again, if we had cut it a little, yeah. if we had thrown in some herbal something or other to yeah. alter the flavor profile a little bit, I think this would have been quite good. As it stands now, it was fine, it was but it fine. was very sweet. Yeah. I... I don't think I would... I don't think any of us had seconds. We didn't even finish hers. So, like, yeah, it's kind of one and done. It's a lot of sugar. It is. It is. It it felt like a very sort of desserty type drink. (laughs) And you know what? Like, too sweet and not that special is a great match for (laughs) Alex and Emma. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah, what what, What what happened in Alex and Emma? Emma? All right, so, plot. (laughs) Alex Sheldon, Luke Wilson, a struggling writer, finds himself in a tricky situation with writer's block and heavily in debt. He is broke and must repay... Sorry, one, sorry, must repay... It says US 100000 which threw me. $100,000 to the Cuban Mafia, since his publisher will give him the money when the novel is finished. This is terribly written already. A lot of periods where there shouldn't be periods. He is given a 30-day ultimatum to pay the money he owes or they will kill him. Period. And the only solution to this big problem is to finish the novel. Period. Or to start it. Rather, since he has not written one single line, period. But he has an idea for the story, a comedy about the powerlessness of being in love, how love devours the insides of a person like a deadly virus. It sounds hilarious. He decides to hire the services of Emma Dinsmore, Kate Hudson, a stubborn stenographer, for her help to write the novel. The novel tells the story of Adam Shipley, Luke Wilson, a writer who has been hired to tutor the children of an attractive French woman, Sophie Marceau. She is going through bad economic times, and Adam falls in love despite the failed temptations of the au pair. As Alex dictates his novel to Emma, the movie cuts away to scenes from the novel where Adam, Wilson, again, in case you've forgotten, still Luke Wilson, interacts with a series of nannies, all played by Hudson, and falls for the last one. As they work together, Emma begins to question his ideas. It starts to affect his life as well as his work. They soon fall for each other. Alas! After finishing the book, Emma discovers that the French woman of the story is based on a real person, a former girlfriend of Alex. His ex just broke up with her latest boyfriend. Sitting with him calmly in a cafe, she invites him to a charity ball. No periods there. Alex soon realizes that the person he really wants to be with is Emma. After the book is done and handed in to his publisher, he pays off his debt. Then, after much prodding, he convinces Emma to rewrite the ending of the book in which Alex has changed. He shows her he wants her to be an important part of his life. Emma loves it, Alex professes his love to her, and they kiss. Wow, okay. So, like, yeah, that is 
effectively the story what happens it doesn't really go into a whole lot of detail about the story within the story which is taking up a lot of the movie right that is a big chunk of the story which I guess to be fair that's why this is only like four paragraphs long you forgive it because it's not a good story no it's not by by no means (laughs) is it a good story but it is there a lot yeah Uh, so cast as I said Kate Hudson is Emma and Ilva Elsa Eldora Anna the four various versions of the au pair slash nanny Luke Wilson is Alex Sheldon or Adam Shipley David Paymer is John Shaw Sophie Marceau is Polina Delacroix uh, David, John Shaw is like the would-be suitor for yes. Polina's character who this description does not even go into that um, yeah Rob Reiner plays his agent editor something like that there are two or his or like the head of the publishing house like they couldn't figure it out <laughs> yeah. there's the Cuban mafia guys yeah there's the well. two Cuban mafia guys who in also Boston. come back as flamingo dancers right and um, Rip Taylor is Polina's father Cloris Leachman is the grandmother that's like that's it that's it yeah that's two yeah. like big names who you know can give you big character work and they're not used yeah. Rip Taylor well, it's Anchorously. Oh, yeah. No, I think I honestly didn't realize it was Rip Taylor just because Rip Taylor is usually such like a ridiculous looking figure. Yeah. But like I flat out did not recognize him in this movie playing this boring ass role. Just what odd choices to make. Right. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Right. Like, why are you hiring these people to play these roles that don't matter? Like, and you think if, when you hire them, you have a big role for them to like go wild with. Right. Or even in like it's like Cloris Leachman, even if she's not playing like a prominent role, like you expect her to come in and like fucking kill a scene and, play a game. and then disappear. Yeah. And but like she literally shows up and she's like, like they thought I was dead but I'm not dead I'm not dead and then it's like oh but she's dead and she dies it's yeah, really funny that's, that's the joke so, it's, it's uh, blowing on something to dry it off yeah. <laughs> Brendan you wanted to start uh, that's a great metaphor yes, I'm sorry flawless metaphor um, you wanted to start by talking about Rob Reiner I thought it was we were talking about director Rob Reiner who is of course the director of this movie I, I was just sort of going through his filmography when I was watching this movie just because I was kind of curious as to like where this fell in terms of things so if you look at Rob Reiner's career like these are the movies he's done like the first handful of movies that he's done this is Spinal Tap The Sure Thing Stand By Me The Princess Bride When Harry Met Sally Misery A Few Good Men which is just like what an insane run to yeah. have like like of those movies like maybe like The Sure Thing I think is like the one that people don't really remember so much yeah I can't but, like, say that but, like, it's a fine movie and so like it's just insane that he knocked like Stone Cold classics out of the park. Kind of different, like, genres. Right. And tones. Right, like, he's doing comedy, he's doing horror, he's doing thriller, he's doing drama. Good Men, yeah, and at that, it's, like, a legal drama as right. well. And it's just, like, it is truly nuts that someone was, like, that successful from the get-go, and then immediately petered out very quickly. Because after that, you have North, which is notorious, I think, mostly for Roger Ebert's review, where it's just him being like, I fucking hated this movie. I right. hated, hated, hated this movie. Then after that, you've got The American President, which is his last critical and commercial commercial success. Oh, I loved The American President. I, um, that's the Sorkin. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. I think, I don't know, I think part, my, my guess around all of this is because Sorkin is sort of similar. I think that they were just of their time and never aged out of yep. that time. Yeah, that's, that's certainly, I mean, and, that's certainly true of Sorkin for sure. And I yeah. think the moment we moved on uh, was very hard for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they took it badly. Yes. Um, they refused to evolve or well, grow in any I, meaningful way. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's actually kind of interesting when you look through that lens. Rob Reiner just kind of eventually soft retired. Like, I don't know if he ever, like, no, did I mean, but that, but like, another movie, but he's not, like, doing things as often anymore, yeah. whereas... I mean, uh, he had a movie come out in 2017 as his most recent. Whereas Sorkin just had a pretty big movie come out 
We're still giving him... Sorkin just directed a movie. He right. has a show running on Broadway right now. I guess when I... I What's that Broadway? I, I, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. He did an adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. He d- wrote it? He wrote it, yeah. Of what's for a play? Yeah, it's a play. I don't know how Does I that feel count? about that. Does that count? This came out like count? years ago. You didn't know about no. it? Okay. Jeff um, Daniels was in it. Oh, okay. I like I like that. The whole like part of the gimmick was that it's like adults playing like Scout and Finch and all them because it's like a memory play. Got it. So like you don't have to deal with like children yeah. playing these roles. That's honestly a good idea. I guess I just generally am over Sorkin and want him to stop making things. So yeah, but I mean, want does that, that count happen. as Sorkin? If right. No, that's the thing too. Like you already have like a pretty strong backbone. Yeah, yeah. So like what. How can you, like, really fuck it up? Yeah. Or how can you really, like, make it that much better? Because I saw Being the Ricardos, and I kept thinking, there's no reason for Sorkin to be the director for this movie. And what comes across is how, like, uncomfortable he is with comedy. And then I'm like, then why did he make this? Well, because I think it's literally just that he's impressed by, like, the drama of the story. It doesn't matter to him that, like, Lucille, like, Lucille Ball was, like, a comic actor, right? And, it's just that he loves the drama. And the you comic. can tell. He has no idea why why that show was funny. He doesn't know why she was funny. It's it's bizarre. Right, we'll move yeah, anyway, we gotta get back to Rob Reiner, who was what we were talking about here. Yeah. So... After that, you get North, you get the American president, which, like I said, his last bona fide hit on both fronts. Was North the one where he just, it's the kid going around to different, like, Right, the kid divorces his parents, families. basically, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, terrible movie. Uh, then after that, you've got Ghost of Mississippi, which is a movie I did not know existed. The Story of Us, which has Michelle Pfeiffer and Bruce Willis. Another movie I did not know existed. Never heard of it. And then you get to, like, his real crap corridor. And I think that gets kicked off by Alex and Emma from 2003. Literally, if you look at every movie after that, it's a whole bunch of movies where you're like, oh yeah, that sucked. Or, oh yeah, I don't remember this movie ever existed. Like, we could literally do an entire year's worth of Rob Reiner movies at yeah. this point. Because, like, you've got Rumor Has It, which is like that quasi-sequel to The Graduate. God. Nobody wants to know. Right. No one, literally my no one asked for that movie. wipes knowledge from, of that movie from my brain. Like, I've never <laughs> seen, that was always like a movie I had on a short list for like, maybe we could do this movie for the podcast at some point, but I've never gotten up the courage to like, watch it. Some things aren't worth fixing. Right. No, like, like some things, like, truly, we don't like doing it, but maybe some things just should never have happened in the first right. place. And maybe like this weird-ass quasi-realistic, quasi-sequel take on The Graduate. Like, it's just not a movie that anyone should have asked for. Yeah. You've got like The Bucket List, which was his last critical success, or no, sorry, his last commercial success. I was going to say, there is no way that was a critical No, success. no one liked it, but it made a lot of money. Is that the one with... Um, Morgan Freeman no. and Jack Nicholson? No. Oh. Where they're both Someone old, they are dying. Like, isn't there a movie where Queen, Queen Latifah is dying and she... That's the last holiday. That's the last holiday. Okay. And then she finds out she's... Right, and then she finds out JK she's not dying. Okay. But she spent all her money and she's poor now. Yeah, basically. But <laughs> it's a tragic went, ending. But she yeah. had she, all this experience. She lives penniless at a ski resort for the rest of yes. her days. <laughs> Washing dishes. <laughs> and uh, then, like, again, like, what are... Like, Flipped. Lee, you had said you had seen Flipped. Yeah. Like, incorrect? Which I forgot existed, but when I saw the poster, it was something that I remembered you had talked about. Yeah. Um, the Magic of Belle Isle, another Morgan Freeman movie, which I remember seeing trailers for. Never heard Could of not this. have told you about it. Uh, and so it goes. Like, do you remember this at all? That, like, Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton were in a movie together? That looks like a made-up poster. I know. And, like, I don't even know what this movie is, I mean, but it came out. that's definitely cut together from, like, many different photographs. Right. You've got Being Charlie, LBJ. He did an LBJ movie what? starring Woody Harrelson as LBJ. What? Something called Shock and Awe with, like, again, Woody Harrelson, Tommy Lee Jones, James Marston. Like, there are actors in these movies. Wait, what is Shock and Awe? Shock and Awe has something to do with the um, the Iraq invasion. So it's like a, like a political thriller? Yeah, yeah. 
I've, these movies don't exist. Right, no, that's what I'm what saying. Like, saying. these movies all came out. They all had actors. They all had a director who, like, is still pretty well known. Releases, right? No, they came out in theaters, and just no one cared. No one saw them. They were not well-received, again, critically or commercially. It just truly kind of nuts looking at, like, the classics that this guy did in his career and, like, what what happened exactly? You know, is it literally just that, like, this, you're, you're not getting good scripts to make anymore? The news he had captured in his basement escaped or something. Right. Like, I mean, like, maybe he felt a more personal connection to some of these other movies. Who can say? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just think that, again, I, 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 I think he stopped being relevant and, st- like, he never, like, adapted to what modern audiences want and we stopped liking his movies. Um, yeah. I think the old ones still hold up. Like, yeah. The Hammond Sally is still a good movie. There are things that, like, you know, maybe don't age as well. But if you, similarly to, like, you know, you've, when you watch It's a Wonderful Life, there are things that don't make sense anymore. Right. Or contextually, things just feel different. But it's still a great story and a great yeah. movie. Um, you know, it's just a thing. It's, it's just unfortunate. But it's it's what it is. This was, I think, the movie that perhaps confirmed to us by and large that, like, Rob Reiner is no longer the Rob Reiner of our childhoods. That, like, Rob Reiner has yeah. kind of... Well, well, he didn't write it, for one thing. So, like, right. he can't really be held responsible for a lot of things that I think are... No, that's certainly true. Like, there are far greater problems than just Rob Reiner's direction yeah. in this movie, which I will say is not great, but I will also yeah. say that, again, the bigger problem here is just the script in general. I, yeah. I do want to point out, I think, another, like, circumstance here is this man who has made arguably, like, the fundamental rom-com yeah. of, that, like, everyone is referencing in some kind of way and, like, almost every other rom-com they make. I mean, I'm not an expert about this, but my impression is that this was kind of coming out in an era which was sort of, like, the name dear, like, the low point of rom-coms... Where we're just doing like I don't know that I it is. I feel like had, we're, we like had shitty. Times? I feel like we're living right now in like the nature of rom coms simply no, because they don't exist. No, well, no. <laughs> I guess the lowest point is non-existence. <laughs> no, both of you are wrong. Okay, uh, so <laughs> it's uh, listen. It's very fun for me to be able to say that, but yeah. I am right. Um, this was before like the real before we really turned off of rom coms. There was like a couple like like I think you were saying that how to lose it a guy in ten days. Came out, I think, a year later, and that was quite popular. They came out the same year as this. The same year, yeah. I believe, or um, But they were starting to get bad, and people stopped making them uh, a little bit after this, but this wasn't the death of them yet. Um, and I think now we're in a world where they, we for the past couple of years, they have slowly started to creep back in direct-to-streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, like, Set It Up, and right. um, there were a few good cinematic ones, too. Like, there was Palm Springs. Palm that's Springs was great. Oh, right, but Palm Springs didn't come out in theaters. No, I'm saying yeah. that's what I said. No, I know, service. I know. Yeah, but what I'm saying, like in terms of a low point for rom coms, in the sense that like they're just not being made in theaters anymore. Rom coms are like currently being relegated. I don't really care services. about the theater thing. I'm just talking about like they were good up until shortly after the era that Alex and Emma came out in. Then they stopped making them. Period for a while, just nobody was making them, or they were just really bad. And now people are making good ones again. The, well, the, the, and now we're potentially seeing one back in the theaters with that romancing the stone. Potentially, thing. yeah, yeah. But I think that that's more about the shift in how movies get released. Period. Oh yeah. Less about like what we release in theaters. Well, because the the kind of negotiation you do is like is a rom com something I need to. A, spend a lot of money to see on a large screen, and B, hold up against potentially catching a deadly right. virus to go see. And for the most part, rom-coms are not as seen as, like, 
visual treats most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like it's just, it's just such a slippery territory to be right there. We're like, yeah, because that 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 is one of those things where it then like starts breaking down to like, okay, so I should only be seeing Marvel movies in the theater and nothing else, right? right? It's like I should only be seeing like a big explosive blockbuster and nothing else needs to be seen in a movie theater which i think is like a very dangerous place to be in in terms of like how movies are being released i agree and i also think it's equally dangerous that what this ends up resulting in is um unless a movie is going to have like an imax release or a lot of cg there's really no reason to make it look cinematic which i'm like that's a bummer because then a lot of comedies end up just looking like crap when i think like no this could have actually like looked great it can be funny and also be very visually pleasing I don't think that that is uh, a link to romantic comedies I think that like plenty of independent movies that have come out on streaming services look cinematic I think that if like the te- I think that there's just a lot of lazy directing that happens in rom-coms because the focus mm. is on the people, not the story. Right. And mm-hmm. I also think that studios view rom-com as something that they don't have to spend money yes. on. It's like something you can spend like $15 million, pay, you know, every, right. like the lead actors get a million apiece. It's more of a star showcase. Right. And then it's just like, just like, just crap out whatever you need to crap out to get it out there. Yes. I think like that that's kind of the inherent issue that you're running into. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we have spent, we've been talking about this for about 20 minutes. We've not really said anything about this particular movie. We've been talking about Rob Reiner and Rob <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about Rob Combs. the story of uh, this movie and, yeah. and how bad it is. So like, what I want to talk about first, but when we talk about the, the main story, is I want to talk about how this is a story about uh, this guy writing this book, and we spent a lot of time with this book, and it's confusing what kind of author he is. Yes. It's also, a, it's a bad book, first right. of all. Step one, it's a bad Unequivocally book. Unequivocally bad. Yeah. bad book. Step two, he's ostensibly like a best, this is not a step, this is just number, point number yeah. two. Yeah. He's ostensibly a best-selling author right. in the 2000s of the contemporary time, but he's <laughs> writing like these weird period piece, 1910s Edwardian. Right. It's like yeah. a great Gatsby knockoff yes. set in New England. Yeah. But it's also like a goofy comedy because at various points, like he he gets hot water spilled in his crotch, yes. and, and Kate, Kate Hudson like and goes like <laughs> like blows on his crotch like ha ha ha. It's is very funny. Yeah. So and I I I my this is a theory. I don't think I'm right. I don't know if I'm right about this, but my theory is that the uh, the the film wants you to believe that he is writing these sort of witty comedy of manners esque mm-hmm. like sort of um, Jane Austen yeah. in the nineteen tens mm-hmm. maybe. But the, the, the screenwriter only knows how to make dick jokes. Right. I mean, unequivocally, <laughs> that is the only way the story makes sense, right? Yes. It only makes sense if he's writing, like, a light comedy. Yes, because why would your dumb sex comedy in the intense be so popular? Right, like, like, right. Who, like, exactly, like, so maybe someone would read a sex comedy novel, and maybe someone would read a period piece novel, but yeah. nobody looking for a period piece sex comedy novel like yeah. this but one. But maybe you are. Right. But it's it's something you'd buy on Kindle for $3. It's yeah, exactly. Like, this is not something that, yeah. like, that like sells millions of copies and charts you at the top of the there New York Times bestseller list. There might also just be a fundamental disconnect between... This writer and, like, what is a good book? Well, yes, <laughs> but I guess it's sort of like... Okay, the screenwriter making a rom-com in the early 2000s is going to include a lot more, like, dick jokes and raunchy humor mm-hmm. than the average, like, not haha funny period piece, right? Yeah. So it's almost like just because that not haha funny period piece is in this 2000s rom-com, it almost has to have the anachronistic comedy I to guess, it yeah. because that's just that's what, what a 2000s yeah. yeah so like 
there is no like okay but what was that comedy in the period it's just no if there's jokes in this rom-com in the early 2000s there's this sort of like we as the audience has to put ourselves in the mindset and sort of say like okay this is what the author is is imagining what this popular novel looks like we just have to substitute in our you know you're talking we're approaching this like we're analyzing Shakespeare right we're like fucking like anthropologists looking back at something written hundreds of years ago the best movies are the ones that make you the most work, right? right? Trying to parse like Elizabethan English. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, no, no, this is a pun that you don't quite Uh get because, like, it sounds kind of like this word. We don't pronounce it this way anymore, but, like, at the time, people would have realized that this was a joke. Ironically, Shakespeare was just making dick jokes. Yeah, yeah, he fucking loved his vagina jokes. um, Yeah, yeah, we. I I guess my question really in this movie is, like, and there's almost no information about this movie whatsoever online. Like, this movie just has nothing there to it, but I just want to know, like, why was it a period piece? Like, why did the screenwriter decide that it should be a period piece. I mean, if I had to guess, it's just that it wanted to, they wanted it to look, like, cool. Right, right. I guess it was just literally just, like, thing. a costume drama, right? It like, that's, just, that's fun. We it, love a costume drama. I'm sure it was, part of it was, um, visually, it's very distinct enough. From the present day. Do you know what right. it right. could, should have been, like, is, um, like, the Music Man, where it's very obvious, like, where the, yeah. sort of the story scene is very obviously soundstaged, right. and, like, yeah. there's theatrical touches, like, lights going up and down. Right. Like, that what I would have liked. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's also, like, with a story like Music Man, there's a very clear heightening happening there, right. too, as well, with the overall story and the way you're telling the story and the sense of humor to it. Like, it's, it's a little over the top, but, like, that's okay because it's totally consistent with itself. And then they really don't commit to that heightening in this movie, though, when we enter the book world. The only one who's really doing a heightened anything in the book scenes are Kate Hudson doing like any number of characters. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, at odds with what everyone else is doing yeah. in the scenes because everyone else is playing it relatively straight and Kate Hudson's like whoopsie Ooh. I'm the Germanese David Hamer is sort of doing like a very cardboard acting thing that I think is deliberate where he's like I am John Be- Shaw right being like flat <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. and but I think I, that that is a deliberate choice and I, I mean there are some it. elements I think too where, like the scene where um, Luke Wilson's doing the flamenco dancing yes oh, so like we're like the, there's a bunch of flamenco dancers then he's like I'll do the flamenco dancing he just does like a bunch of like goofy little like mm-hmm. karate chops and like like, like stomping around. At one point. Yeah. 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 And and like but, but again, like, is this on the book? Like if I read this right. book, would it be like and then, then he like pretended guitar. to strum an air of fiddle or something like that? And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, what a weird a, thing to say. There was also like that scene, I guess it's happening in this in the book he's writing, where the Luke Wilson self-insert character is sitting between Sophie Marceau and the Kate Hudson as Anna yeah. character, I think. Mm-hmm. Anna's like the, the love interest, the legit love interest one. And I think as executed, it was pretty weak, but I did like this almost like he's, they're in a liminal space together and these two characters know that they're each his love interests. And yeah. they're like sort of doing like a like throw like on Right, yeah. And they're both like arguing their case to him as to like, like why he should get with them. That was a moment where I was like, why didn't Rob Reiner see this this needed a lot more height? Because I think to sell those moments, you needed everyone to punch into it a little bit harder. And I think Kate Hudson throughout is the only one who seems to get, oh, this will work if I go broad. Everyone else is like, oh, I'm in a period piece. I'm just going to play the character, which is weird because I think for for it to be as entertaining as the movie and Rob Reiner seems to think that those sequences are... 
there needs to be more of like we need more people doing broad right. accents like hey what you doing and I mean because then you also end up with things with like again like when Luke Wilson's doing the dance versus like every scene that Luke Wilson's playing straight I'm just like this is boring this yeah. guy's boring like I don't care about this character like but like what if Luke Wilson had an accent that's what I'm saying <laughs> what if Luke Wilson was doing like can he a, do an accent I, probably not but that would have made it all the better if he was just like ah what's going on here fellas it's me Luke Wilson Atlantic accent maybe, yeah maybe it would have been better if everyone was trying accents they couldn't do just so it wasn't poor Kate Hudson <laughs> <laughs> um, it did feel like she couldn't do the accents. Well, then they shouldn't have. They, sh- they they would have had to have not gotten an actual French actress to play the French lady, right? Right. Or they, or she would have. She. I mean, American. she. I think more than anyone seems the most at odds with like what yes. the story is like yes. because she's playing it like very straightforward, and everyone else is going like they're dipping into like a little bit of stylization, a yeah. little bit of heightening, but she's just like playing it like as written on the paper, just like delivering what she's been told to deliver, and it's it's jarringly weird. She I think. could she'd be in like a film noir, and you wouldn't. Yeah, that and I. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, especially when it's really just her going through these accents and wigs and it's all just these kind of disposable joke characters until you get to Anna where she's just Emma in but in the story like yeah and when you reach that you're like okay clearly this is where you want us to be I guess I'm, I'm slightly annoyed that it, it, the arrival of Anna and just the clarity of like, oh, this is the endpoint character mm-hmm. makes everything else seem like annoying cul-de-sacs. Right, like we've just been we've yeah. just been like spinning Although, our wheels. Although, dare I say, Elsa was the funnest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. a thousand percent. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Also, the German maid is, the German is great. Was ridiculous. Which, yeah. when, we, when we get into characters and acting, we do have to yeah. go through each of them. Naturally. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. so the... <laughs> I think the the core issue here really the writing is, is bad, bad overall. Yeah. The story with that story is bad. The story with that story also not great. Let's. I want to talk about how th- this is like it's it's at once like a a better movie from the past, but also based on a story that that both are based on I think, but that are done very differently. So yeah. there's this like Dostoevsky story, The Gambler, where like apparently that's also based on his real life, where he did gamble away money and he did fall in love with the stenographer that he had to spend time with to write a novel to get out of gambling debt. Um, that got adapted into a William Holton Audrey Hepburn movie, Paris, Wind and Sizzles, but they, it's not about gambling in that. In, in Paris, Wind and Sizzles, it's just that William Holden is like a screenwriter contracted by the studio to write a screenplay. The deadline is in two days and he's barely written it and the secretary shows up and is like, where's the screenplay? And he's like, oops, I guess I have to write it with you. And they fall in love and do this sort of like pseudo-gallivanting around Paris because they're it's all within the world of like him telling the story about a girl who stole the Eiffel Tower or some shit. Um, <laughs> that's what it's called. And it's, it's a cutesy, it's very much like this movie, but if but just imagine it better. <laughs> I've seen Paris with Sizzles. Uh, apparently Variety had some scathing opinions about it, although they did like the two leads. Um, but I thought it was fine. I, I maybe I don't know if it's aged up better or it's just a cult hit. But, better than this, know, either way you slice it. It definitely has classic clout, I think you'll find. Mm. Like It definitely gets used, I think you pointed out, there are sizzle reels about writers in award shows, and that's, yeah. that is the number one with a bullet. Like, you're going to show... William Holden in a typewriter. With a typewriter <laughs> in an apartment in Paris. That's, like, the number one thing. I mean, I also, like, not to knock... Um, not to knock Luke Wilson and Kate Hudson, but, like, I also feel like William Holden and Audrey Hepburn are probably just, like, more compelling. They definitely are. I yeah. mean, yes. Like, we, I, I said this in the... I think I said this in the mini when we were announcing this movie, is that they're not... 
like, why did this movie get forgotten about? Because they're not, you know. Right. And also just, I, I think also just that the chemistry here is not there. I, I would no. imagine the chemistry between William Holden and Audrey Hepburn is considerably better than what you get here. Which is to say here, it's just kind of like, there's nothing. There's it's nothing tepid. between these two people. It yeah. doesn't, yeah. the chemistry doesn't really move between the two of them. And there are moments when the movie seems to think like, yeah, you guys get it. Right. And you're so, like, no, there's nothing to get here. More like yeah. Paris when it fizzles. Oh! Um, yep, let's splice in some of that audience applause. But yeah, if you but like the th- the problem is when you spend so much time in the world of this bad fake novel, the story outside of that is just that they're in an apartment, sort of talking it out, right. and slowly maybe learning a little bit of each other. But there's not enough. But not a whole lot. Yeah, there's not enough substance in their scenes together that ca- that would logically let you buy into their falling in love. Right. It just movies. seems like they grow accustomed to each other and ergo yes. fall in love. Right. There's, like, one time 70% of the movie where they, like, go on a, a walking tour. Walking, right, it's, it's the one right. day that they shot in Boston. Yeah, it, I legit <laughs> wonder, is this, like, a thing that, like, you're contracted to do when you film a movie in a city? Is, is it, like, a tourist thing where it's, like... Uh, you have to show all like, the nicest destinations. I need to go on a boat right. sometimes. A boat tour, what is the thing? The called? duck boat. The duck boat. Right, we're going to go to the <laughs> duck boat, yeah. we're going to walk across the, um, the bridge. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes there will be a thing of, like, depending on how much money either the city is giving you in kickbacks or in tax breaks, you might have to like lean into some like tourist destinations but do you remember how much What's Your Number felt that way well also my best friend's girl yeah the same bust public garden shot right Right. and I mean but also for this one like it feels like almost none of this is shot in Boston. I think like none of the it. only shots in Boston, there's like a shot of Kate Hudson getting off the tee and there's that date montage of the yeah. two of them walking. But like literally every other one feels like it's a back lot, which it probably is somewhere in LA. And it also feels like it, it's, it, they like, he lives in a brownstone and everyone in this one seems to live in brownstone. And I know we have brownstones in Boston. This yeah. is not like inherently New York thing, but I think they're more common in New York uh-huh. for the most part because like, I, I just cannot mentally make sense of where this would be in Boston. You know, like, I'm, I'm trying to do, like, mental gymnastics. Southern, like the south right, end. like, that's something, like, it has to be the South End, basically, but it doesn't really feel like the South End. But even a lot of the exterior shots of the building feel like New York. Right. The inside of it, I think I said while we were watching it, feels like it's, mm-hmm. like, Roger's apartment from Rent. Right. Like, His apartment is insane in this movie, to be fair. Like, first of all, it's, it's like, huge. it's an enormous apartment at the top of a brownstone, but it looks like basically like they started to renovate it. He yeah. just came up and was like, stop, stop everything. I'm moving in. There's like a handful of almost like cartoony, um, like this is a falling apart old place apartment thing. Like, I think there's like one spot close to the front door where there's like a triangular like tear of like wallpaper. Or, like, I mean, there's like, oh, here's some exposed plaster. Over right. Here. But it all looks just so Stage. to the point where it just looks so fake bad that I'm like, Right. Well, I don't buy it. And you also get, like, he has a ladder to get up to his loft. Right. Which is just, like, uh-huh. if he were really, like, first off, if he were really, like, a struggling writer, like, who had blown all his money at the racetrack, like, he'd be in a shittier apartment. Like, this is unquestionably an apartment that he should not be able to afford right now one way or the other. And this is this is the nitpickiest nitpick that I will ever pick, but... Um... Please tell me what publishing company is paying you the same day you turn in your manuscript. <laughs> I also love that it implies that, like, Rob Ryder reads the entire manuscript. He, like, delivers it to him. Rob Ryder's like, it's great. I love yeah. it. Like, you read 300 <laughs> pages, like, while Luke Wilson was sitting with you in the room. They're like, Luke Wilson's just, like, I don't know, like, playing with a yo-yo or something. And Rob Ryder's like, yeah, yeah, all right. Good. Yeah. 
Checks out. I don't know what's wrong with that. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, and then he just turns around and hands it to you, the dancers. It's, yeah, they were the equivalent of like dailies, maybe, where he was just sending it. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Pages. Yeah. Because as we all know, when you write it, you just drop that first draft off. And yeah, they don't know, like, great, publish it. Yeah. No notes. As soon as you drop it, there's, a, like, a cha-ching sound, and yeah. then your bank account <laughs> yeah. updates. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I guess one other thing I just wanted to throw out there that occurred to me. Um, I don't... Uh, so we've, we've already mentioned, and I think very sufficiently, that Kate Hudson is playing this, just the various versions of the same au pair character from different countries with different names. Mm -hmm. The only other people, to my knowledge, that make the same jump from the real world into the book world are the... The, the thugs. The thugs, yeah. the toughs. Yep. Because they come back as the flamenco dancers. Right, who he borrows money from, which is what he did in real I, life. I guess what I'm wondering is, why did they do that if they weren't going to do Paulina. that with the other people? Oh, is Polina in the real world too? Yeah. Yeah, because he has dinner with her at oh, the end. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, then if we're going to take it that far, I'm kind of surprised that, like, Rob Reiner... No, I mean, it is, to be fair, it does feel like Rob Reiner should have been playing, like, the dad or something. Yeah. Right? Like, but... Or, also, like, because if you're going to do this whole, and you were there, and you were there kind of moment, which well, we kind is, of got... she wasn't there, that, because that's, wouldn't have been, he only wrote her in because... because he was, like, thinking of her still. He's thinking yeah. of her in the story. Like, mm. and, uh, Kate Hudson wasn't there, and we don't actually know if there was a John Shaw at all. Like, right. maybe he never had a rival, because he also says that he didn't realize when he was writing the book that John Shaw was going to be the fiancé until he just decided, like, it makes sense to she's the fiancé. It's very possible that the real-life version of Polina didn't have this, like, other guy. Right. And that she was just a fapid, rich, spoiled lady that wanted somebody else with money or whatever. Right. But, in any case, it's not a deep story in no. modern day. As you pointed out, Brendan, the whole taking it from this sort of Dostoevsky thing and keeping the gambling thing, it's like an odd... Uh, you were saying it's like an odd bit of high stakes that like he's going to die. Right. The mafia shows up and like destroys his laptop. Right. They destroy his laptop. They show up again later on with a baseball bat and they yeah, start like destroying other things. Up. And like at that point, they... Kate Hudson's there, and you think that like Kate Hudson's natural response would be like, "You didn't fucking tell me that there was like mafia involved. I'm getting out of here. Like I'm sorry. Like you're on your own now." He but does instead... though at the beginning. What? At the beginning, he does say this. Does he say that there's mob involved? I don't remember. I have to. I remember he says that he has to do it in 30 days, but I don't remember him explicitly saying like, "or the mob will kill me." I think he says something like that, or he says that he does say that he's in debt. Right. No, I know he says that too, but I don't think she knew that. Like, maybe not the mafia. Even at the very least, I think also like knowing something is happening and then physically having two guys show up with a baseball bat is definitely is like it's it's a little bit different because like you think that at the very least, Kate Hudson should be a little bit more rattled. Like she acts very scared when these guys show up, and then she's immediately just like no get back to it let's keep no. going come on also as i said before previously i don't think that like the the qualities of a gambler are as romantic as well yeah and i yeah it's 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 a tough sell obviously i think dostoevsky had a, a gambling problem yes he it did seems like it was not the first time that it happened to nope, him this I, happened many times throughout his yeah. life and i think in this story in the movie like the idea is that luke wilson uh alex and his character within the book adam are both like they were, but it's still not attractive because right. if it's not the fact that he's just into gambling, it's just the fact he's that an like, idiot. he's an idiot. This woman is like manipulative and, and awful and has terrible values and he just decides to gamble all his money away in an attempt to get more enough to be in love with her, right. to like to date her, which is a stupid, silly prospect. And, and in, either way, it's not a good look for a character. Yeah. Right? It's also weird though, thinking back on that now. So like if we assume real life Luke Wilson Bet all his money at that dog track in Hialeah to get more money for real life Paulina. Uh-huh. 
when we meet real life Polina, she doesn't seem that obsessed with his status. You know what I mean? She immediately is just sort of just like, they have dinner together, and then she's just like, let's go to a ball together. Won't that be fun? John is, John does exist, because she says she broke up with John. Okay, all right. So there is, it may not be David Paymer, but like there is. It's another guy, yeah. Yeah, And I think what is going on is that much like probably what would have happened to the fictional Polina... That she went with this guy for his money and then realized, like, oh, I'm unhappy because... He's not great, he's yeah. Not, he's boring or whatever, yeah. and I, now I still want to have this guy, but probably, you know, what she's really hoping for is to get both, right? She wants, like... Ideally, to, yeah, you want to have, like, an affair. Yeah, yeah, have an affair with this guy, but... But, still, like, still have the money, sense. yeah. So she's just, like, a terrible kind of manipulative woman, um, which is not a great... Also not a great story choice. Yeah. To, to just have this, like, sort of, like, two-dimensional character who's just sort of cartoonishly um, manipulative yeah. and bad. Um, in Paris When It Sizzles, there is kind of a point of William Holden having that, a bit of self-loathing about the fact that he's not finished the screenplay. Because he, he depicts himself within the story as a thief. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of refers to himself as one in, in terms of like, like a liar and a thief in terms of like agreeing to the screenplay and then like not just pissing all of his money <laughs> and like on alcohol. And so it kind of like works a bit better in that case because... The character's kind of a bit self-aware of like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an asshole. Like, I'm mm-hmm. fucked up. Um, and I'm not often too great about it. Whereas Luke Wilson seems really oblivious. Yeah, cheerful, cheerfully oblivious yeah, to everything to happening. fucked up. Yeah. Horribly. Yeah. Like, every time he gambles all his money away, it's just for like, ah, well, yeah, well what are you going to do? Yeah, next well, time. <laughs> and if anything, we, we see that he still has people around him who are very much willing to indulge his games, including putting up an elaborate fake yeah. law office. Yeah. We've said all we can say about the story. Um, I think so. Let's talk about let's talk about the acting in this movie, mm-hmm. and the characters, and all that. We gotta start with Kit Hudson. Yeah, because she has um, <sighs> the a sun cornucopia around which all the planets revolve. Yes, it's it's tough because I like Kit Hudson a lot. I think I, I struggle to. I don't think it's her I, fault that things don't go so great in this movie yeah. for her. Um, I just think she can't do those accents, and... I mean, but th- this is the thing. I agree with you she can't do the accents, but is she being directed to do them well, or is she no. being directed to do them funny? I don't know, but I don't I don't think she's being directed to do them well. Okay, I mean, like... And so I don't th- think there was probably a lot of effort being put into making sure they were, like, subtle. Right, something. but that's what I'm saying. So if she's not being directed to do realism, then she's being directed to do them goofy. And so, like, are you really, can you really hold it against her that she's not doing these accents well? No, if she's not. been no, directed to do them, like, in a funny manner? It doesn't work because oh, she's yeah. the only one doing a Oh, no, 100%. And, like, again, like, if Sophie Marceau was doing, like, a ridiculous, like, oh, oh bonjour, it is me, your French yeah. girlfriend, like, it'd be like, okay, sure, whatever, everyone's goofy here. But she's just playing herself. Yes. And Kate Hudson's just has to come, come with all this, like, goofy, like, oh, I was washing my hair. Yeah, and all I that was shit. washing my hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was washing my hair. Yeah, great lens. It is a great. Oh, we, yeah, like, just oh, the, with, um, that, with that I, with that green the green eyeliner, the green eyeliner, like like yeah. for like red orange wig, yeah. very poison ivy. Yeah. The, I, I see you found the casino. I see you found the casino. <laughs> it's like really leading into those lines. Oh, yeah. In a way that I missed. Yeah, Elsa definitely is the best. I kind of yeah. think that if, like, we're going to just be crazy, she should have just stayed Elsa the whole time. There is yeah. something about, like... Elsa was the spiciest. If you're going to do a dumb accent, we also, I think, spend the most time with Elsa. If you're going to do a dumb accent, I would kind I mean, German is one of the ones that I think you can still have fun with. Mm-hmm. 
definitely it feels like we go in a less comfortable direction with like Eldora. Thank God Eldora has like one line in the movie. And then we're like, nope, nope, we're done. Because it just shows up, stays barely long enough to offer him some pie. Yeah, yeah. We all all go, ooh, and tug at our collars. Just long enough for us to cringe before, (laughs) uh, like thinking, ooh, how long are we going to spend with this one? And the good news is not long. Um, But. I don't know what is Eldora a, a wave a curly brown wig and a white flower in her hair basically yeah, yeah. and she said like hello yeah she just turns her and like hola oh right and then Mr. Shipman would you like some pear yeah and that's it that's all we see of her you're, you're a real Kate Hudson thank Chris. you I've yeah. been told that about my accent work before it just makes me think of when we played that fucking game facade oh, or something <laughs> what was it called though well there's a character named Maria yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, because yeah, like, yeah. yeah. it's the one it was because, like Trips coworker. Yeah. It, clearly, like they're both having affairs with these people. Right, guys. I was gonna <laughs> say, if you pursue the wife's storyline, she's also having an affair, isn't she? They're an unhappy couple. They're both. Yeah, they're both. They both have these like <laughs> sexy coworkers that they're implied to have maybe. Yeah. Do you remember just like so much time spent goofing around with that? All and everyone did. I feel so bad for <laughs> people who made that game because it's such we a all bad just dunked game. on them consistently. Yeah, it's such an easy game to make fun of. Um, I I love that you could get thrown out for saying melon. Melon. <laughs> Literally, it's a, it's a speed run. You open the door, you see melon. You open the door, and that's it. The game's yep. over. <laughs> that's all you have to do to end the game. I think I saw that video. Don't, don't both of their faces kind of just go like Whoa. yeah they, yeah they, they sort of take a like second grumpy and then they get like <laughs> and then the door just closes <laughs> great game guys play facade anyway <laughs> much more fun than watching Alex and Emma um yeah it's not it's not and Anna is just kind of like boring default and she's like, I mean as soon as she arrives you're like oh this is what we were driving towards and then I do love like it's so stupid Stupid, and I guess the movie knows that it's stupid. I hope so. But like the the, the idea that Luke Wilson just keeps being like, mm, not really feeling like Swedish. What if she was German? And so right. like his fix for this character is just like I don't know. What if a different accent? And like yeah. I do think that Kate Hudson's character is like like this is stupid. You're just like spinning your wheels here trying to make sense. But like he's a fucking writer, and his solution is just like I don't know. Change the accent. Maybe right. that'll fix it. Like you've written a book before. What do you know about I, this? I shit? also desperately need him to sit down. And I know Google existed then what an au pair is. An au pair is not pouring water at dinner. No. An au pair is not making paella in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> she's introduced as one, but she's basically like, like the one. The generic one. help. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But no, what it should have been, could have been, is like, he writes Kate Hudson into the story, but the she starts as a caricature of who he perceives Kate Hudson. Right, she should be like, it's like a super like uptight, uptight like yeah, maybe a little nervous, like, yeah. yeah. And know-it-all even. Yeah. yeah, and then gets, and then because she's sniping at his writing, she becomes a spicy like lady that's just sort of constantly like criticizing Calling him out, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know. And maybe she's even a more like well-fleshed out character than the Sophie Marceau yeah. one. Yeah, the, that would have been the way to go, but instead it just plays that as like, just do a world A revolving door of wigs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's not a lot going on there. Luke Wilson doesn't have to do a whole lot no. differently. Looks no. great, though. Yeah. Looks great. Looks hot. Looks really hot in this movie. Looks so looks good. I think it is the best I have seen Luke Wilson look. Even way- with his, like, awful cargo pants and everything, yeah. like, it still works for me. The clothing is not okay, but the way they light him makes his eyes pop. Yeah. I no, and think- again, like, this is just because, again, my sexual coming of age in the early 2000s. <laughs> so it's like, naturally, when you see a guy, and I see a guy in cargo pants to pull up, still like, yep, you know what? There it is. <laughs> That's it. That's all it takes. I do think that um, 
he's quite good at playing this sort of like subdued grump type yeah. character. The thing that I've, so like when I said that I was looking for information about this movie, there's almost none of it. The one thing I found out was like an article from the LA Times that happened to be about Luke Wilson before this movie came out. So it mentions the movie briefly in passing. And the one thing that they mention is that Rob Reiner had originally envisioned this character as like a neurotic Jewish writer. Mm-hmm. And then like, it's so weird to think that like Luke Wilson Would played, played who is like not at all that whatsoever yeah. and just like the way that this character kind of molted from being like sort of a stereotypical like dare I say Woody Allen right. type character to Luke Wilson who is just sort of like more confident I guess but like when yeah. you look at some of the lines of dialogue he has that does make sense where he's like he has that one like brief thing where he's saying like I think I'm getting a brain tumor like yeah, I'm hearing yeah. a high pitched whistling which sort of like implies that he is like more aggressively neurotic than he's putting on but because it's like <laughs> Luke Wilson this handsome guy from Texas kind of like okay like, we, well, like you're not really that up in your head right now it's also just inconsistent in the writing it really is at times like the writer was like oh right he's neurotic I need to put in a neurotic line like yeah. that like the the ringing because yeah. it doesn't come up that often at all no but he he, he generally kind of plays like the the normal one in the group was it the right. yeah. and like where she, she's the one doing like picking weird things off the pizza and he's like what are you doing and right and she's like I hate tomato skins blah 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 yeah he, yeah and then, you know there's some good there's some genuinely good stuff I think that comes out of that sometimes but it's just kind of it doesn't as Adam, he's just sort of doing like more of a slapstick thing because yeah, of the yeah. way that the book works. But right. he's, he, but he's he, it's more, not, yeah. it's, but it's not heightened in any meaning. No, no. Like, he's doing slapstick because like the script mandates that like he trips over or he gets right. a sandwich spilled in his crotch or whatever. And like, yeah, that's funny. But like, he's not doing anything to make it funny. He's just like going through the motions. Yeah, yeah. It, I was gonna say he, he he's not bad, but he just kind of sticks firmly in the middle and just stays there, like. There, I, there's not like levels to his performance. I don't think you can point to a scene where you're like, oh, he really turned it on there. Um, and there, nor was there a moment where I was like, this character is witty or like, oh, wow, Luke Wilson really found a moment to like make X, Y, and Z happen with this character. Yeah. It just sort of, I, I get the feeling the way he played the character is pretty much what was written in the script. And yeah, like, he just he, he. I think his sort of shtick just kind of worked well for making this character more than the bare minimum. Really. Yes. Yeah. Um, that it's cruising by in charisma, pretty much. Yeah. That, that very Wilson. I don't know how to describe the, the way they acting. both see things, yeah. but it's also it's something in the in the folk. Well, well that's you know, just their sort of Texan don't... heritage. Isn't yeah. It? I think it's it's like, just sort of like the faint twang that they yeah, have. Yeah, maybe the that's faint Texan twang. Yeah. That's all that is. But they both come from the same school of, like, they, they deliver their lines through furrowed brows a lot. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, like, squint acting. A little yeah. squint. Yeah, a little furrowed brow. It's, yeah, they're, like, they're always, like, they're thinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're really hard about things when they talk. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's not a positive or negative thing. No, that's just it's a statement. That's just a thing. It's and fine. Then, and then we and I really like it. If, they, if they're both doing that at the same time, only one of them gets to actually have a career. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be the one who has the broken nose. Oh, because or Andrew Wilson. Yes. Andrew Wilson's doing a great work on Stargirl, from what I hear. I hear that as well. Um, and they're both, yeah, I'm sure. That, and then now they both get to be in, in their respective superhero universes. And as, that's right. and, as for the third. Uh, <laughs> and they're in separate universes, so they don't have to play with each other. Yep. Right. There's no direct competition. Well, right. they want to, though. Apparently, they wanted to make that. Or- that's true. <laughs> that, that Wright Brothers biopic. That would have been so funny. I Honestly, that. that feels like it would have been 
a like a movie joke in a ro- another Rob Reiner movie of like yeah. these two act like and it wouldn't be like a joke cameo to have the Wilson brothers play the Ray brothers in that or Dara, something. It, like I don't enjoy this type of thing a lot but I probably would watch some sort of like reality thing with the two of them like if it was a reality like, show of like the brothers the Wilson yeah. brothers going out camping or something I'd yeah probably watch that they seem like two kind of nice wholesome dudes yeah, yeah. Or, like, gun to my head if they were to do the Wright Brothers, but do it in the style of, like, another period. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that would be fine. Fine. Yeah. I'd like that. Yeah. Anyway, it's... Uh, I, I, you know, if you like Luke Wilson, you're in luck. You're in yeah. He's in it. You're in Luke. Yeah. <laughs> you're in Luke. Well, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a great title or something. <laughs> For his autobiography. Yeah. Or his... We've kind of been talking about some of the other people in this movie. But it's just kind of unfortunate that no one gets anything good to oh, do. You're right. No one no meaningfully, pop, meaningfully pops yeah. in any sort of fun way. Like Sophie Marceau, you would think this character should do something. Like, you, or like even if, she, if like if she was like a heightened femme fatale, if she was just like a heightened stereotype of a rich person. Yeah. But like as it stands, because she's just sort of playing this character at face value. Like it's not popping. Right. You can't remember anything that this character is doing. No. Honest to God, like, I get so bored during, like, the period piece yeah, fictional there, there scenes. there are scenes where she's with her kids and she seems to really love her kids and you're yeah. like, okay, and then <laughs> when she actually reacts to her mother, her grandmother's death really sadly, it's like, am I supposed to be okay with her? Right. Am I supposed to... It's a, it's a, this is everything else in this novel is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and I Why think it, it also the thing with her grandmother too. It's also like, is she sad because she's not getting money? Is she sad because grandma died? Like, it's, it just feels like because of the well, there's like, a bit before she knows that the grandmother doesn't have any money. Right, where she is sad. She yeah, is sad. yeah, that's true. Did you ever get the impression, by the way, that like there was more to the grandmother? in that whole plot line and just got no. cut down or something. I literally think that it, the joke was just that they got Cloris Leachman for one scene and they're like, she's going to kill it. It's going to be a hilarious, like... But they're not giving her anything no, to and do. No, and I I know. I'm, you, don't have to, you don't have to argue me Brendan, that. this is your fault. Yeah, please. I was the one who script doctored why do you, this. Why do you hate Cloris so much? She's just so old. <laughs> I'm ageist. Yes. I just don't think old people should work. Yeah. I think she should get a job as a Walmart greeter or do nothing. <laughs> Kramer tried. I think he did. He did. He, he did. And and again, like Rip Taylor's there, but like right. who the fuck noticed him? I didn't. I feel like the like the guys playing the uh, gangsters slash flamenco dancers. Like the only scene where they really have to like do anything fun is the flamenco scene mm-hmm. where they're just sort of like telling him like about like the deals of their arrangement while they're like dancing around him. Although, and I like I, it, it's funny question mark like it uh-huh. is. Yeah. I guess I sort of appreciated that they were also doing something heightened. Although upon reflection. It's not that much heightened over how they act in the real world, where they're right. also a little kind of. But I think, goofy, but the, you know, the differences the in the real world, they're like they're scary heightened. Yeah. I guess. this one, they're funny heightened. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I feel like if you were doing this, I think that's might be the problem. Mm-hmm. That, that no, I'm not saying this is what you specifically your problem is. You wow, remember. okay, great. This is but, your problem, yeah. Redman. But the problem that you had rather with this with the thanks the a lot, Doctor Wexman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think maybe if they were if they were goofy heightened in the present day, it wouldn't feel as weird. Oh, no, if they were just goofy gangsters. Yeah. I mean, again, like to be clear, there there are plenty of movies that have like goofy gangsters yeah. where I think it's like perfectly fine. But I think just because this is ostensibly being such sort of like a fun frivolous movie, and then you cut back periodically to them being like, and like don't forget, like we busted up your computer and your TV set, and we'll break your kneecaps and throw you out a window unless you come up with this book and whatever many days you have to do it. And it's just like like that's that's insane. If you think about something like goofy like kiss me k which has gangsters but they're like a bunch of like goofy bumbling gangsters who like sing a song about shakespeare it's just sort of like <laughs> yeah. like do that like have them be like they're thugs but they're like goofy wacky thugs i i did enjoy their like <laughs> 
did they destroy a laptop the conventional way of just simply smashing on it, smashing yeah, it, or stepping on it? Set it on no, fire. You turn on the burner yeah. on the stovetop and then hold it over the stovetop right. just until the fire like eats through the keyboard. And, I'm also thinking, and I was like, like, wow, that's a long way to go. Right, and like you're going to leak battery acid or something. Like You <laughs> yeah. should just, just throw it out the window, man. Come on. Th- this is fully us transforming into CinemaSins. Yeah, like, I know. Ding! You dig. <laughs> well, I told you there was a bit in the, when she first comes into the apartment where I, I thought she wasn't going to close the door behind her. Yes. And I was waiting for the reverse shot where the door was magically closed, and I was shocked that it was still open. I was like, wow, that's at Sh- least... Continuity or in the paycheck that continuity, day. Continuity, yeah. <laughs> at least somebody was doing their job right. <laughs> I will also say, and obviously this is madly trying to find a silver lining here, at least... At least Kate Hudson was not a manic pixie dream girl in the real world scenario. No, no. And like many contemporaries to this movie did end up going down that road and I think we're worse for it. She has less bite than some of Kate Hudson's other characters, but I think she still has a good, she has a pretty good like, um, she's smart, like independent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And like a, you know, like a fierceness. Yeah. Because there's a bit, you know, even when she's, uh, when Lucas has kind of been an asshole, she's like, you know what, could you just stop calling me and like, let me deal, like move on? Because like, I'm over you, frankly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, of, and course, of course, he does not. <laughs> of course, he does not because it's a rom com, and we we do the creepy rom com thing. But you right. know, that's not her fault. Do you think part of it is because, like Samson, when they turned her hair brunette, she lost some of her? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do go out of their way to make her look like as mousy as possible <laughs> yes. in the contemporary scenes, where like she's got like old, like sort of like old fashioned style suits, almost like kind of like very uptight, very mousy brown hair. She's got glasses. I would, I can only imagine Rob Reiner was like, no one's going to believe this hot blonde is, <laughs> is it just like a mousy stenographer? Is there anything else worth talking about before fixes? I had meant to talk about directing, but I feel like we've kind of been, I don't think there's much to say about directing. Again, I don't it's think it's particularly great. good. No. It's lazy. It's, it's the same. We've it's talked about lazy. before endlessly that, it's just lazy rom-com directing. Yeah. Of just like, well, there's nothing... It's just people talking, so why right. why bother? It's, it's also right. nuts that like, something like When Harry Met Sally looks so much better than this movie. So much you know? And I realized, oh, that's just because it's shot on location in New York. They're yeah. going places. But it was also like... There was like creativity in well, the yeah, shots in When Harry Met Sally. Like, think, there was like fun and yeah. things happening. Right. Think for more than 20 seconds about where you're going to frame a shot. Yeah. And that's, you know. And I mean, again, I think part of the problem with this also is that they spend so much fucking time in a shitty ass apartment. Mm-hmm. And like, if, if they want to do the whole like, you know, Boston tourism reel, it's like, spend a day in the Boston Common like writing on a bench or something. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you have you have a shorthand typewriter. You can go fucking anywhere. Exactly. You're not limited <laughs> yeah. to stay in also, this apartment. Also, we've talked, we touched on it, I think, but you there are so many more creative ways you could do the the story with a story. You yes, have yeah. that be more theatrically right. Like right. shot. There, there were that was a playground that somebody just decided I'm not going to play on that. Yeah, right. It feels very. I mean, it feels very much like again a soundstage, which it is because mm-hmm. like it's a period piece. So obviously you're limited in that sense. But like so it just like so many like of the shots just feels like you're in one room or you're spending a lot of time yeah. in another room. Like there, there was like two or three scenes I think where they show the characters like walking through a public marketplace or something like that. But where it was it's like, like oh, that feels anywhere. Right, but it is like a little bit feels like, oh, like this is an actual world. This isn't just a soundstage that you've built sets upon. Like you could actually walk places. The rest of it is just, it feels like they're adapting a play for a movie and haven't really thought about how to expand it. And just like, I don't know, just shoot in all the rooms that they're supposed to be in. There was even also like parts of the book world that just looked like they just put up freestanding columns and like a painted background or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, you really... Model columns. Exactly, It really did. And they're just like, they're going to have them like sit at this like dry fountain. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. You had 
had to have been able to find a place. Like, you clearly found yeah. a house somewhere because you were shooting in it for other parts of Bookworld. Yeah, no, it's just like a bizarre, it's like sort of like a, a white and green, like, painted <laughs> set that they just made. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, it's almost, an island somewhere. Almost like a photo studio, it looks yeah. like at some point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah it does. It's like a trellis <laughs> Yeah. There's like a, the Olin Mills and play with the camera <laughs> out there. Like, someone, someone, like, hit a button by accident and, like, the, 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 the Kodachrome switches over to, like, a 90s, like, picture background with, like, lasers or something. Yeah. Forest uh, background. Right. No, we're in the woods now. <laughs> I think the one thing I want to, like, just real quick say is, so I talked briefly about the idea, like, how difficult it is to make a work of fiction about making a work of fiction because it's just like a lot of the times it's like there is a lot of pressure riding upon the work of fiction that you have created in this universe where it's like I have to do this thing and I have to do this thing really well and then at the end of the day it's just kind of like well you did it fine truly it feels to me that like the only way to do that well is where it's either a metaphor or not the primary focus of Mm -hmm. it like I'm trying to think of something like Wonder Boys or something like that where it is about um, Michael Douglas's character writing but you don't really know too much about what you know like the basic premise of what the book is about and you know that it's been something he's unable to stop writing because it's been going for thousands and thousands of pages. It's like, it's an important thing in the story, certainly, but it's more about, like, the characters and their relationship. You can be doing a thing in a movie. I think it's just that, like, when it becomes the primary focus of what it is that you're doing, audiences start to expect that it'll be great. You know, that it's going to, like, be worthy of spending all this time upon. I think Whereas if, like, something like this, where if it's just, obviously, you're hamstrung by the fact that you want to have this conceit where it's a real-world fictional world back-and-forth kind of thing, so, like, you kind of have to spend a lot of time in the fictional world. If, if you end up doing that, it's just kind of like you have to have that payoff, which this does not have for me. Not at all. Yeah. Um, there, it's interesting. I think there's, like, one, uh, yeah, I think the problem is that if you are going to do sort of a story, uh, and you're going to focus on it, then if your character's meant to be a good writer, then it has to be a good... Right, and, yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I think, like, the, the tonal mishmash of this is definitely yeah. a big part of, like, why this doesn't work. And yeah. I think, as well, you are potentially putting yourself into an extremely sticky trap where... You may be convinced that this story or piece of art within the story is great, mm-hmm. but the viewers or readers or your audience may not agree. And also, then if this story... thing that you've built seriously on top of in your story is, isn't supporting that shit anymore for your audience, it looks really bad. Yeah, but also if the story with the story is too good, then people are just going to want that story. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> so, like, ultimately, it's probably easier or more comforting if you make like intentionally bad art within your story. Yeah. Right? Right. Of because course. the risk is low and you right. can say like, oh no, it's it's supposed to be bad. Mm-hmm. Um it's almost like you're <laughs> you're like doubling down on the vulnerability of putting fictional art that you actively engage with in your story in your story just because you're it's not only like, oh my god, what if they don't like my story? It's like, oh my god, what if they don't like this fictional story that they need to take seriously? Right, you're taking a double risk. Right. Yeah. Does anyone... I, I wouldn't mind starting, but I... Have go to for it. No, go ahead, start. All right, so let's start fixes! <laughs> uh, all right. My fix is pretty... And I don't know want to say straightforward, but um, it's pretty cut and dry, I guess I would say. Um, I'm reversing the genders. Mm. So the writer's a woman. She is a... Just um, like the doctor. Uh huh. Just like the doctor. Just like the doctor. Oh, the doctor. <laughs> doctor. <so laughs> that is a that is a thing that they were joking about on Comedy Bang Bang. So you're not that behind. They do that all yeah. the time. Whenever Scott has a chance to reference, <laughs> just it, like he the does. doctor. Um, so yeah, the the writer's a woman. She's this isn't her second novel. She uh, she has written many 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 romance novels. She's a romance author. She's written a fuck ton of them. Um, for whatever reason, she has a deadline and she has not written anything. Um, 
I think she's just bored, disenchanted with the genre. I think possibly she has never been in a real relationship um, and, and looks down on relationships um, and just knows really well how to write romance because, um, you know, it's just like sort of fill in the tropes kind of a mm-hmm. thing. And she's just quite good at it. Um, and I think that she hires this guy to come help her, like, you know, for whatever reason, her computer breaks. So, you know, there's so many other reasons you need to hire a snarkifer or whatever. Um, you don't have to be in debt. <laughs> to the Cuban mafia. To the Cuban mafia. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and she's blocked and it's like maybe like a not a first time thing, but it's kind of like a little bit bad to be blocked with like two days left before the deadline or whatever. So she's got to like get this idea out. And this guy uh, doesn't like romance novels, but is kind of a romantic IRL. He just thinks that romance novels are like really fake and bad. Um, and so he's kind of like a little like, like, you know, like oh, like you write these books like they're all crazy. You never, never read them, but just kind of assumes that they're all like trite right. and awful and garbage. Um and maybe has also just like ended a bad relationship himself, and so he's a little bit like feeling, you know, um, you know, all the emotions that come with that. And she is kind of like cycling. She's kind of talking him through, like, you know, using him as a sounding board. Like, well, maybe I'll pull out this old trick or like this old. It'll be like a, an adventure or something. Right. Just kind of cycling through, and he's just like, you know, more of that stuff that I wanted from Alex and Emma, where she, where uh, Kate Hudson is sort of like snidely remarking on all the terrible choices that um, Luke Wilson is making where like he's doing that and kind of commenting like with his own thoughts like that maybe you're tinged with his bad relationship that has just ended um, but maybe also from some good ones and, and I kind of want them to fall in love that way where like she's coming from a place of like she's thinking that romance is kind of a bit silly and, and, and like you know it's dumb and you know all everyone wants from these romance novels is like the same old bullshit over and over again and him like sort of like maybe infusing a bit more like reality and groundedness to some of the romance novels. And that's, that's all I got. I didn't come up with too many details. That, but <laughs> I like that. The though. general premise is pretty sound. Yeah. 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 And I think that solves the problem of like not having the story within the story need to be good. Good, Right. It just needs, cause it's part of it is being ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. Well, and I like that you, you made that more of the vehicle for like the character's journey, not the centerpiece of the yes. story. Yeah. Kind of about like, yeah, her getting a shifted perspective from, and maybe there's like something that she, that he can learn from her as well. Um, about maybe how like he do, maybe did throw himself a little too hard into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there, he wasn't, you know, he does, it's not the end of the world. Some of the things that happen in relationships and some of them are a bit silly, but you know, she's maybe a bit too dismissive of some of the stuff that he enjoys. You know, meet in the middle, that's the usual bullshit. Again, that is the usual romance <laughs> that is, bullshit. Yeah, that is. Uh, did you want to go next? You can go. Okay, I also, mine is pretty simple. I don't want to have our writer indebted to the Cuban mob either. What? <laughs> Why you guys, you guys are throwing out the baby it's with the bathwater. It's so complicated to do it that way, <laughs> just because you have to find, I don't know, like, I find it just so funny that... It feels sweaty to be like, how did this writer get into this situation? Yeah, so I, I'm just going to have it be like, you need to have this manuscript turned in by this date or we're just going to drop you. Um, I would have liked it, similar to kind of what Lee was saying, this is a writer I want them to have had already quite a few books out, but I'm thinking they're kind of like, maybe on the way down, they're not as successful as they used to have been and they're not maybe feeling as like artistically stimulated or inspired as they once were. And that maybe they've kind of taken on more of a like turn the crank 
mm-hmm. approach. And maybe, like, I was thinking, like, maybe they've even gone so far as, like, there's, like, five ghostwriters who are, like, locked in a shed somewhere just making their stuff. <laughs> um, but I... I couldn't figure out how, but I wanted to have it be that they are forced. You you need to be, you need to like write something different. Like your last book didn't do too well. People are no longer interested in this character you're doing. And that like hiring this um, stenographer comes about just because this writer is like so unused to and rusty at going through their own creative process that they literally knew. I'm thinking they're just like hired by the publishing company to like come and help them out. They essentially will end up writing this thing together. And I think the way you show that maybe his or there, I was going back and forth about what he wanted their gender to be. Um, you can kind of show that their touch is coming back and that maybe it's really like something they're collaborating with the stenographer to create. So like shots to book world will start off insanely heightened, like too much so. Mm-hmm. And that over the course of things, as these ideas are kind of being refined more with the stenographer, you actually start to see a, like, story take shape in characters that seem like humans. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like you, it lets you have it a bunch of different ways where you can have many of these characters having, like, slight, like, okay, in this scene, they've been rewritten as the villains, so they're kind of doing, like, this big thing. I think there's a lot of, like, high style and fun they could have had Mm -hmm. and really bummed they didn't. And especially since this movie's so boring that that would have been actually, like, comedic. To you like s- the acting changes, too? Like, it starts off yeah. very, like, hi, I'm right. Adam Shipley. <laughs> right, and exactly. Then, yeah. And then eventually, I, I think by the end, it could be more like, oh, okay, this is a real thing. But yeah. I don't know. Like, it's to me, it's just such an obvious source of comedy to use that for silliness that it's weird that it's not done more just outside of... Kate Hudson's accents. So I, uh, I, I did not really know what uh, Paris when Sizzles was about, except that it was very similar to this. Uh, so I did not realize it was about a screenwriter because <laughs> I made mine about a screenwriter. So needless to say, this is going to be an even more shameless ripoff than perhaps yeah. Alex and Emma ended up being. So I wanted to be, I thought movie just makes more sense because movies are inherently visual mm-hmm. to begin with. So like, it's very easy to imagine people sitting there like thinking in their heads, like it'll look like this on yeah, yeah. screen, like obviously. So the idea that I had is that Alex is going to be a young screenwriter who wrote some sort of like really hot spec script that like a lot of studios are really fascinated by, but it never really quite got off the ground. You know, everyone was like, this is really cool, but we could never make something like this. Mm-hmm. Like, probably some sort of just, like, really quirky kind of drama type. And so, like, while... Blacklist regular. Yeah, and so, like, while the studios are kind of, like, while every studio is kind of, like, jerking around a little bit, one's like, well, look, like, we can't make this, but, like, we've got this, you know, $20 million rom-com that we want to make. Like, do you want to take a crack at it? And I think he's, like, hesitant to, not because he's, like, rom-com. It's like, I'm an artist. Like, but more just because it's, like, this isn't really something, like, I know how to do very well. Like, I will certainly try to do it because I think it'll help me get my foot in the door, but, like, I don't see how I can do this well. Yeah. So he's sitting there spinning his wheels for a while and mentioned the studios like look like we really need to get this done we're supposed to start shooting you know in a month from now like where is the script and he's like oh, having trouble with it blah 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 and so what the studio decides to do is they decide to hire a script doctor who is Emma's character and in my head she's kind of like a Carrie Fisher type renowned as a script doctor who will like inevitably always come in and like make shit funny so she's coming from this sort of like a higher position than he is but I think also the idea is that like maybe her last couple of scripts that she's worked on have kind of like flopped a little bit so she's had kind of a string of misses and she's kind of like a little bit maybe a little bit less confident in her own abilities than she might be so it's kind of just and i had it all written down here so make sure i have it open um the two of them are sort of like clashing against each other um she's like the one who will inevitably be like like look the leading lady here like
like just does not feel authentic to me. This is not like a real woman. This is not a real character. Like you're not bad at writing like writing characters. But, like you just do not have a like a grip on who this person is. Whereas you like you seem to have the man very well. You have him figured out, and it's sort of like oh because he's he's the man. Like he's writing himself into this, and that's when you have the transition to like the two of them in the rom com, where like she's playing the woman and he's playing the man. So the two of them sort of like bouncing off each other, like writing dialogue for all those other characters. Um, <clears throat> what I think I want it to be is because like a big problem I said with this movie is that the two have no chemistry. The two feel like they don't know anything about each other is that you use the movie as a means for the two of them to learn more about each other's characters as they start to imbue these characters with aspects of themselves. That's how they learn things about like their real life self where someone will mention like something that they're interested in. And then he'll be like, oh, like I didn't know that you liked XYZ. Like, and she's like, yes, I love XYZ. It's my favorite. Love it. Um, <clears throat> what I think the crux is going to be, I don't really care about this whole shit with like Paulina being this girl he was secretly in love with and like all that other crap. But I think it's going to be more is about the idea that like, yeah, they're kind of falling in love with each other, but they're both falling in love with like fictionalized versions of each other where it's like she's <clears throat> she's kind of like not really feeling like the romance that he's feeling for her because she's like, you're like, yeah, you're in love with like this version of me that I'm presenting to you. And like, you're also in love with this version of me that you have in your head that I am this character. And like, we're both of us making this up. Like you're making up what you think I am and I'm making up what I'm presenting to you as. So it's like, you're not really in love with me. Like you're in love with like this character that you've mm -hmm. created on a page. And that's like, that's not real life. That's not what we're doing here. And so the movie is just about them trying to like, figure out who the real person is and trying to start up a relationship. But I think it's going to end maybe with like the two of them not getting together, but then it implies at the end that he's going to do some other movie and has hired her to like help him write something. And so it kind of ends with like a vaguely hopeful note of maybe they'll get it right this time. You know, like maybe now they have an opportunity that they've broken down all these like misconceptions about each other mm -hmm. to figure out who the other person actually is and start a relationship that way. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Different directions this time. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, we I feel like we all had a little more to go on yeah. than the last one. What I, you know what would have been another interesting approach that I thought of halfway through one of yours, I can't remember when I got it, but uh, is rather than have nothing at all for the, like, when he's just got nothing, he's got not, not even one sentence written, just to have, like, a bajillion different iterations of the <laughs> yeah. novel. Yeah. And just, like, that that's, like, a whole other layer of fun where, like, you're not only diving into, like, these flash, these, like, fantasy sequences, but there's, like, you can see like some of the similar threads come up, but like yeah. one of them is like an Indiana Jones esque novel, and then it's like no, actually, I decided to do a film noir. Um, like I couldn't figure out like what the fuck story I wanted to tell, so I, would, I told like ten of them. Yeah. There's such a fun gag you could do within that too of like bits and pieces of other versions that are still yeah. floating around like the, the copy. The like, actors and like some of the things carry you through, so that you, like you have. A, I, I would kind of think it would be cool to like barely to have to sort of struggle to understand the narrative because mm -hmm. it starts as an Indiana Jones thing <laughs> then it becomes a detective thing. Right. You're not getting the beginning of the detective thing. We're, we're in like <laughs> we're in page 20 of the detective thing. <laughs> it's understood that we wrote the beginning bit. I love that. And so you have to kind of understand like what the story's about but like through this this like genre world tour that he does because he doesn't know what he wants to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many, again, I think what we've kind of realized in talking about it is that there's a lot of fun ways to talk about you know, a story about a writer writing something. That, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, the, the biggest thing with this movie is there's a lot of inherent potential in this yeah. premise. It's just that it's it squanders it all pretty quickly. I sure kind of like this, like, jumping in and out of book world. I think that's a fun idea on yeah. paper. And um, other people have done it, too. Like, we've right, done, yeah. You know, we've done it before. 
We'll do it again. Um, there's there's better versions of this type of story. We we started discussing it um, before the episode started, but um, the television show that's currently running after Party does a very similar thing to what we're describing. Um, where you're kind of seeing these short films done in different styles that are telling you about the same night, just from different perspectives. And that does it very effectively, where you can tell, like, okay, over in this one, they're heightened in a way that makes sense for a rom-com. Over in this one, they're heightened for, in a way that makes sense for a musical. It's it's great. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, would you recommend this movie? I would not. I would not. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's very boring. Yeah. We, we all just started having conversations with each other completely unrelated to this, and I think unless we had a podcast to, to do, we would have just fully ignored the movie. And <laughs> This is also <laughs> like one of those rare cases where there is a better version of this movie yeah, just you can watch. Powerful. Right. So it's, it's just like there's no need to watch a crappy version when there already is a good version. Right. No. So there's, there's, there are even better places to just watch the Wilson for a couple hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, it's sort of, it's it's kind of just a criminal waste of everyone's yeah. talent, this movie. So yeah. like there's nothing, there's yeah. nothing good for you here. Yeah, it's neither, it's not a good rom-com and then it's not like a fun, you're not getting like a fun period piece. No. So yeah. All right. Well, guys, you heard it here first. Don't watch Alex and Emma. Don't, don't do it. Don't do, don't it. do it. Yeah. In case you missed all the critical reviews in 2003, don't don't let it. us remind yeah. you they were right. Don't but watch it. do come back at us. Yes. Nice. Well done. Well done. In two weeks. Good work. In two weeks. Uh, with our another our next mini episode. Yep. Um, in the meantime, you know, give us that like. Yep. Give us Facebook.com slash Why Watch Podcast is our Facebook page. Yep. Uh, you can subscribe and rate us and review us on Apple Podcast and Stitcher. That's where we are. All right. That's where we are, baby. Let's buy it out. Yep. Bye. Bye. Auf Wiedersehen. Yes. <laughs>